BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. If you are interested in your health and well-being, you've probably heard about our gut microbiome and how important it is to support a resilient immune system. Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic is a plant-based prebiotic and probiotic with 24 strains that have been clinically or scientifically studied for its benefits. Get the real deal by visiting seed.com slash raising and use the code raising to redeem 25% off your first month of seeds DS-01 daily symbiotic. That's seed.com slash raising and use the code raising. Gut health is on its way. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and I loved this conversation so much. Forgive me, I have a cold, so I sound a little icky. So I'm going to get right to it, and I just want to say this book by Elise Lonin, On Our Best Behavior, The Seven Deadly Sins and the Price Women Pay to Be Good, is so stunning. It is just a gorgeous book. The cover is gorgeous. The inside is gorgeous. She wrote an incredible book that was not a parenting book, but has so much gold for parents to think about. This exploration of ancient rules that we unwittingly follow, but really permeated our culture for generations, and how Elise turns them on their heads and thinking about ways that this impacts how we interact with our children. It just was so cool. This is sure to make you think, and I really want to hear from you. So DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast. Get this book and we can keep talking about it. If you enjoy this episode, I love getting reviews, particularly positive ones about episodes that are slight departures. And sign up for my free Substack, DrAlizaPressman.substack.com. Elise also has an awesome Substack, Pulling the Thread. And don't forget to subscribe to my Raising Good Humans podcast premium content only on Apple. What I think I want to do is force us to talk about this through the lens of parenting because... It's funny thinking about it through the lens of parenting as a parent and as a daughter. And my mom is very present in the book, much more so than my dad, that that in of itself is a heavy legacy for all of us, particularly for women who are listening, who recognize that our lives in some ways have been 
built on the sacrificial pyre of our mom's ambition. And it's a very uneasy and painful inheritance. You know, I write about it as being, at least for me, feeling like my mother's jailer and her joy. Mm -hmm. And how heavy that is, because whatever we do with our lives in some way impugns what our mothers did with theirs. Mm-hmm. And yet it's very difficult to talk about openly because of this idea of being a good mother and being a good woman and all of that. But so on top of what you're saying is the weight of making sure that this burden. Yes isn't getting passed down by those of us who are supporting mothers. Yes. And I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about this on, offline, but what I'm trying to get at in the book is there are these structural oppressive forces in our lives and a problematic culture that we can all see and name and address, and yet it's so hard to fix it. And we're trying to fix it in ourselves without really understanding that it's the psychology of it that's the greatest drag on our lives. It is this cattle prod to perform our goodness as mothers, to be perfect for all people, that keeps us from, I think, real systemic change and probably what's required in order to move parenting to its next evolution where there's more parity at home. Mm -hmm. And it involves, I mean, I see this in my own relationship, putting stuff down and resisting all of that urge to fix everything for everyone and control it all and make it perfect because otherwise I can't detach from this programming. And the resisting, which is the work, like, all of the fixing and all of the perfection is so, it's just such a funny thing because it's obviously so anti like any of the work in, in the field of mental health and psychology and developmental psychology and also in the doing of the work, we tend to want to be perfect at the doing of the, even mm-hmm. being perfectly imperfect. It's very, it's, it's heavy. No, I mean, I think there's a real trend right now yes. to be super super good at imperfection and that is also burdensome like I I, the layers of burden are phenomenal and also I really want to go through just as a reminder in case the sins are not top of mind for people yes can you list them yes so yes thank you for that because I wasn't really raised in a religious household, almost the opposite. Mm-hmm. In fact, my mom is a recovering Catholic. My dad <laughs> is a not very engaged Jew. And I had no real education in religion at all. In fact, when I arrived at this revelation that the seven deadly sins are a code of goodness that live in each of us, regardless of how we were raised, I first had to look at where they were, look at what they were. And then I, of course, went to find them in the Bible where I discovered that they weren't in the Bible at all. And that's a story for another day. And in the book, it's it's so fascinating, fascinating. everyone. Yes. So they are sloth, pride, envy, gluttony, greed, lust, and anger. And when they were first conceived, 
around the same time that the New Testament was being codified. They came out of the Egyptian desert in the fourth century, though they weren't part of canon until the sixth century. There were eight of them. They were eight thoughts, and the eighth was sadness. And that was dropped from the list. And I include it in the book because I feel like sadness, this disconnection from feeling, is most heavily lodged in the minds of men. And the disavowal of this feeling, I think the primary symptom is toxic masculinity. Mm. And women can behave, as we know, in toxically masculine ways as well. And I think part of that, part of the performance of that is deciding that you don't care and that you won't let any of your feelings come up. I think it comes up daily where I'm imposing some of these perceived sins on my kids Mm -hmm. and myself. So while I think it's an aha, obvious thing on the one hand, I'm also constantly perpetuating these myths, like constantly. Did it yesterday, probably did this morning. Yeah. Probably will right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is culture, right? And culture is contagious. And women for millennia, not forever, but for millennia have swallowed these ideas wholesale and let them determine how we act and experience ourselves in the world. And the sins are essentially what it is to be human, Mm -hmm. very real and necessary impulses. They are what get us in touch with our wanting, our appetites, our desire, our needs, our boundaries, who we are and who we want to be in the world. And the way that we have been trained to disavow them means that we are really operating at half-fast and spending, I believe, an inordinate amount of energy suppressing ourselves, repressing ourselves, and not letting all of this come up. And the book isn't a bid to say, oh, let's be greedy, lustful, Totally. Let's, let's clarify, in yeah. fact. Yeah. It's not that the opposite is what we want. It's balance. It's that these are signposts. This is our GPS to really come to understand and know ourselves. And so we can't deny them and we aren't we shouldn't necessarily overindulge with them. But it's it's the same with what we see in the world, in this patriarchal world. The answer to a dominant patriarchal society isn't to have a dominant matriarchal Mm -hmm. society. It's balance. It's partnership, it's affiliation and care. It's letting the masculine come up in women and letting the feminine come up in men. It isn't about going to one binary extreme, even though we certainly love those, don't we? Yes. And I, you know, that it's, I have a bee in my bonnet all the time because we just love binary extremes. Yes. And parenting as a, Verb loves binary extremes. And I don't know how we can get away from that because binary extremes feel so certain and Mm -hmm. cozy. It's just like it's so unambiguous. And I get it. Like, I just get the sort of like, okay, there's there's clarity there, but it's so off. And it's nearly, I would say I can think of so few things where binary extreme is the, the answer. Yeah. I have daughters, so this, I I felt like my eyeballs were popping out a lot because I was just being reflective about things in a different kind of way. And by the way, 
lest anyone think being reflective is not one of the key principles of being a parent, it's like, it's key. Yeah. So given that, it's hard because I was like, ah, this is not <laughs> giving me, this is a reflection that I was not ready for. But the act of reflecting, so even if we're just having this conversation and it's making you think about any of this, you're like A-gaming it. Yeah. <laughs> And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsor. KiwiCo is awesome because here's the thing. Summer is so close and that means there's a lot of free time, hopefully. It also means there's a lot of moments when we want our kids to be doing something. We want them outside. We want them exploring. We want them to do free play. But oftentimes that turns into asking for screens asking for us to do stuff, asking for us to plan. And this is where I love when KiwiCo comes to save the day because KiwiCo delivers serious fun learning for kids of all ages. Whether it's about science or sensory play, games or geography, every single crate is designed by their team of experts and it inspires excitement, curiosity, moments of discovery. And what I love is that you have to do exactly zero work and you can focus on either playing with your kids and having a fun interaction or having a cup of coffee and reading the paper and knowing that they are all set, but not sitting there staring at their screens. It's so exciting to look forward to every month. There's something for kids of every single age. These boxes have no commitment, so you can pause or cancel anytime. They're a great gift. So redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash RGH. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash RGH. Breathe some life into your own backyard with this really cool company, fastgrowingtrees.com. From shade to fresh fruit to hedging for privacy and natural beauty, let fastgrowingtrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. We know that happy plants equal happy home, right? But sometimes it's hard to know which plants will do best. This is not a problem because with fastgrowingtrees.com, you get customized recommendations based on your specific needs. Plus, their plant experts are always available to help keep your plants growing healthy through the season and beyond. So I really wanted to fit a leaf fig, but you really need to know where they can grow best, where they can thrive, and how best to take care of them. And with Fast Growing Trees 30-Day Alive and Thrive Guarantee, you know that everything will look great fresh out of the box, and that if it's not, they will take care of it. So join over 1.5 million happy fast-growing tree customers. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash humans now to get 15% off your entire order. Get 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash humans. Plants and trees give us so much joy and they totally influence our mental health. The addition of plants and trees into your life is only beneficial for your mental health. This is a way to do it easily. 
Rachel Simmons is one of my oldest friends on the U. Oh my god, I love up together. No way. Yeah. Yeah. In Rachel's book, Hot Girl Out, she says there's like the she's all that Mm -hmm. vibe that we just are like angry about. Yes. If you have confidence and yet we want our girls to be confident, but if they're too confident, we put them right back down because we're like, don't get a big head. And it's just this cycle of really mixed messaging. Yes. And I, I've heard many women and I'm, I definitely feel this way where I'm like, how do we balance confidence with compassion? Yes. And empathy and being able to give space to other people, but like not so much space that you're diminishing yourself. And how do you light other people? I mean, there's just so much in this one concept. So how do you think about it? Like, how do we do this? And this is a great example because it it shows how these sins, while each their own thing, start crashing into each other and the Venn diagram between them. And this particular point, it hits pride, which I write about as this fear of being seen and Mm -hmm. all of the reasons that we have to have a very real fear around it. And then it also crashes into anger and our inability to properly work through our aggression and have open conflict. So, and Rachel's book shows up, pops up throughout because here is the unfortunate double-edged sword for girls and for women. And this is where I really feel like there's such a difference between our internal lives and then how we show up in the world. Yes. And for so long to girls and to women, it has been be more confident, go in there and ask for what you want and deserve. Be more confident. And the reality is we all know we're punished for this. Yeah. Ritually. time. We're always punished. We're always put back in our place. We're always shut down. People in all the social science, men and women, rate these qualities poorly. And we know this. We've internalized this deeply. And so I don't think that there's a confidence gap at all. I think women are actually very deeply attuned to how amazing and competent and intelligent we are and how hardworking, I would add, and how so many of us outstrip many of our male colleagues. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sort of like boxers training at a very high elevation who come down to sea level (laughs) to fight. But it's true. But we know better than to express it. And that's where all the caveating and diminishing Mm. and sort of like all put get down so you don't have to put me down. We do it first. And then we're told, just be more confident. The problem is really with you and your confidence. And this is the gap. There's a gap. So I'm going to admit something that I'm not even sure I'm comfortable admitting (laughs) here. Do it. I said this straight face to my daughters. So I was in, I have as a general personality vibe, a really self-deprecating gig. Like mm-hmm. I'm constantly self-deprecating. I quite enjoy it. I'm very confident. Mm-hmm. But I sound like I a lot of times people are like giving me pick me ups where I don't actually need them. I just like have a self-deprecating sense of humor. I probably grew up in a family where that was a constant running theme. Like my one of my friends 
takes it to a dark level where she says, yeah, we grew up in families where you're the most important piece of shit in the world. Yes. The piece of shit the whole world revolves around. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But I was in. So I'm like, I'm not going to be careful with how I say this. And then I'll decide if I'm too chicken to acknowledge it publicly. But my one of my daughters was saying to me that she noticed that around my boyfriend, which sounds very silly at my age, but the person, my, whatever, my boyfriend, I am a little too self-deprecating and she's not sure if he knows how amazing I am. And I was like, oh no, he knows how amazing I am. He thinks I'm amazing or we wouldn't be together. I, and he is always affirming and reaffirming. It's just that sometimes I like to this is going to sound so bad, but I'm I'm doing it, Elise. I said, sometimes I like to disarm people mm-hmm. so that I don't come across too aggressively or don't seem too educated or don't seem like I'm inaccessible. And so it, it helps people if I, you know, I'm like, oh, no, I'm a terrible mom or whatever. And that's just a, a a disarming thing that I do, but I don't feel that way about myself. And I don't think he feels that way either. In fact, I'm certain he doesn't, mm-hmm. but we get a good laugh. And she was like, that's terrible. But at the same time, she's been watching me do it her whole life. And I am certain she'll do it too. Yeah. It's just like what we know. And I, I was so mortified that she noticed mm-hmm. But I also kind of taught her the lesson in real time. So I was like both mortified, but also like it's really effective. And I'm not doing it consciously. Like it's not like I'm in any way conscious, but I just get so irritated by other people being having the audacity to just state what they're good at that I am like, I am going to go the other side of it. And I just... I have modeled that for my kids. I am certain I'll continue to model it despite being aware of it. And I don't know what the balance is. Mm. Like, I actually couldn't tell you what I would rather them notice. Mm. Great confidence where I'm expressing it to the people in my life who might be like, ew, like, what are you supposed to do? And at the same time that I say that I'm confident, I'm also like, like all of us question myself, have imposter syndrome, wonder if, I should just be mortified for existing in a particular moment. Like both things are true. But the thing that I express most is a comfort with being self-deprecating. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's really powerful and I think it's really honest. And I think we all relate. And I'll be deleting it. (laughs) Absolutely not. Please don't (laughs) delete it because I think what you're speaking into is this crevasse. And I think that the more that girls, and I am grateful that I'm raising sons because I don't know that I have it in me to see myself reflected in that way. But the more that we can speak into that chasm to give context, the more I think as messed up as it is, we're just not there. And this Mm. is very true when we get to lust, certainly, that there is a level of self-protection that's required between full self-expression and the culture. Mm -hmm. But this is also true in the context of envy and in the context of pride, because we know we have, we know what we do to women who we perceive as being too 
big for their britches. Mm-hmm. It is pattern recognition for all of us. We see it most daily with the most visible women, famous ones. Mm-hmm. As we watch them, we sort of celebrate them as they're on the ascension. And then as soon as they hit that level, yes, we destroy them with a fair amount of glee. And we have a lot of schadenfreude about it. And there are all the reasons that they deserve our rancor. But really, it's just being complicit with a culture that is reminding all of us to stay in our lane. Yes. And to not want too much for ourselves. And that doing anything publicly is dangerous. And so this disarming that you're talking about with your daughter is how we survive. Right. And continue to do the work that we do. Which is why I don't want to say don't do that. Yeah. Because I'm like, it's it's like how it's like women not being too aggressive. And yeah. But know what's really powerful about it is that you are saying this is the culture. This is who I am. And I am modifying my behavior for this culture. But I am not modifying who I am. And the culture is not who I am. I don't know if that distinction makes sense, but it is saying like there is a difference and I can resolve this in myself and still function without taking on what the culture expects or wants from me. And I think that that's powerful for your daughter and gives her permission not to be two different people, but sometimes... That's what's required. And as long as she's not abandoning herself, Mm -hmm. then it's unfortunate, but it's not a crime. Oof. It's so it's it's a lot to think about, because I'm also thinking, you know, as I was looking at Envy, I am guilty all the time. Like, I love when my when women are confident and I see them and I love them. I'm like, get out there and go do do this. You're so amazing. But the minute, as you said, there's that point that we all know, we can't name exactly where it is, but we all know where I'm just like, ew. Yeah. And typically, I what I argue in the book is that the women who most bother us, the women who were sort of like cheering in their descent and throwing wood on the fire at which they burn, are the women who are pushing on a dream that we have for ourselves. Mm. But because we don't let our envy come up, because we're so ashamed of it and we suppress it in shadow, we don't recognize that that's what's at play in us. Right. We just look for all the reasons to justify our bad feelings, not knowing that those bad feelings are really just information. What she's doing is something I want for myself. And, and then, you know, we get into greed and scarcity and this idea that there are only there's only room for one woman right ever and so if she has it i can't have it too instead of saying actually because she has it it means i can have yes. it too even operationalizing that in a concrete way with our kids i'm thinking like we can ask when they're using language that suggests envy yeah what do you think it is about what what do you think it is about what your friend or your enemy or whomever you're talking about? What it, What is it that's bothering you? Yes. And I wonder, and we can just wonder with them, is there a part of you somewhere deep inside yeah. that would like that experience or that feeling or that success? Yes. And you, just allow it. Yeah. Don't criticize the person, criticize the behavior. 
And I think the one, the signal of it is I don't like her, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of I don't like this very specific thing that she's doing. Right. Which is the difference between shaming someone and just constructively uh, noticing something. Yes. And separating. Separating From like who you are. Yeah. And so I think, you know, with, with our kids, I mean, you would know so much better than I would, but that's the difference. Like you say you don't like Shelly. Can you tell me what she's doing? And, and then parsing it. And again, like this isn't to say that there aren't women in our culture who deserve our rancor. You know, there are a lot of of women who have, people are people. I don't, I don't envy Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't like her. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There are moments when you can just be super explicit. Like I can distinguish between not liking and and, And envy. envy. Or I should say, I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is harming a lot of people. Harmful. Yes. And I am not here for the hate that she spews. I actually, that's such an important distinction. I think that's an important distinction to to make clear with our kids because a lot of this is naming our own affective state mm-hmm. as we walk through the world in front of other people, particularly our kids, because nobody does that. Yeah. It's not easy. And also it's not a socially typical thing for a lot of, it's super protective not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but in your household, it's super protective to do that. Yeah. And then you can name the difference because there are people that are just like, this is this is very specific to this is a person who harms. Yes. I'm not not liking them because of anything other than the harm that they impose on others. Exactly. Okay, so in keeping with this, there's something about lust that I also just was. I mean, they're all of them. There's so much in here. And it's true. They kind of there's, you can't really separate, just like you can't separate the brain and we try to, we're like, this is the emotional, <laughs> this is the cognitive, this is, but actually it's all one thing. And it, it feels like that with these sins. What, what I wanted to talk about is lust, because mm-hmm. there are a few very common phrases coming out of adolescence right now. And even old, you know, like younger tweens that I think are falling in this category slut shaming, body shaming comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. And here's where I am struggling and I'm so curious. And I think you can frame it so beautifully with this, what you said about lust. There's a space between slut shaming and body shaming and parenting Mm -hmm. and helping kids come into their own and their bodies and their sensuality and their mm-hmm. needs and their pleasures while still helping them figure out how to do so in a way that serves them. Yes. And that's safe. And is safe. Yeah. It's really hard to find that balance when you know that we don't actually, as adult women, have that balance necessarily because of the culture. Yes. And Oh, it's such a it's such an essential topic. And it's really difficult, as you know, to to wrap our arms around. And Peggy Ornstein had said to me, she was talking about a boy talking about his girlfriend. And he said, she's sexy, but not sexual. And I think that that's a big Mm. distinction in our culture. And I think that that's what we see with so many women, young girls and girls is this 
gesture towards sexiness before they've even really come into their bodies or understand what sexuality is and that the two are not the same. And yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I was just with a teen on a beach vacation and... (laughs) That'll do it. And that'll do it. It was <laughs> it was really interesting for me and to sort of like be confronted. It's very confronting as my body sort of meanders towards perimenopause <laughs> and I she's effectively wearing no clothing. And it's it's it was really interesting to sort of one, hold my tongue, but two, just watch her and in her body and her comfort with her body and also respect that and like that. And be concerned about her. It's both. It's both. That's the the yes. part that's so hard. So many there's there's the sense of like you've l- use it while you've got it, and pride that some parents take in how this body looks on this earth at this time. Yeah. And then the other side of it of like cover that up. Yes. Look what you're what what image are you trying to project to the world? And I feel like where. Where, where do we do with where, that? What are we doing with that? Yeah. And I think that I want to sort of put attention in a parking lot, but I think it gets again, goes again to this, the sad fact that we know and can say emphatically that it's not a safe world for women. And to this day, this is still true. I don't know that it's evolved or changed much. There is this idea that boys have this, naturally have this rapacious desire that they are out of control in their wanting. And it is the responsibility of girls and women to babysit their desire. Mm -hmm. And it is on us to keep ourselves safe. And should anything happen to you, which happens to women all the time, I think has probably happened to every woman Mm -hmm. over the course of their life at least once, it's your fault. Right. And... What did you do to elicit this interest? Were you drinking? What were you wearing? It's like the statistics are staggering. It's like a thousand reported sexual assaults, only 25 ever even go to trial. So that's just the reality. And the amount of sexual violence in this country is off the charts. And so that's the culture. And that, again, is different from feeling as a woman or girl, like your sexuality is your own and that you are in your body and that you are an empowered and connected sexual being. And then performing it in the world is a different thing entirely. So that's just where we are culturally, that it's your responsibility to keep your body safe. And that's messed up. And that, again, gets at this sort of like we are our nature. It's like, actually, that's the culture, guys, a culture that enables boys, young men and men to just say, I, I she wanted right, it. Right. I couldn't control myself. She asked for it. That's where we're at still. So we still need to be aware of where we're at. It goes back to yeah. the same thing. Like this is our culture. So how do we live in this culture? And still like that is not body shaming. That is not slut shaming. That is there's there's the safety part of it. There's the safety part of it. There are a couple trends right now with teenagers that I'm like, my head cocks and I'm like, how do I not sound 900 (laughs) and shaming while still shedding light on the 
part of it that's just bad idea. Yeah. One is homie hopping. It's called homie hopping. What is that? <laughs> and it's essentially the... Con- I'm 901. Yeah. <laughs> so it's essentially like, an, I, I guess, an empowered way of saying slut, being slutty. Okay. You're not caring about, you're experiencing the the physical connection with multiple people because you want to, because you're like, I'm going to get in, in a line and this boy is going to kiss five girls and they're all going to get to have the experience and vice versa. This girl's going to kiss five boys and that's because she wants to kiss them. And like, why should she not kiss those boys? And then this other thing that I have seen is videotaping it. So it's like they're dressed. It's like pre-sex tape, but they are curious what it looks like. And so they're dealing with Hmm. hormones, connection, physical, sexual, sexiness, and the digital world. Yeah. And it is really hard to help adolescents understand owning your own body and keeping yourself safe and having sensual experiences and not shaming for that and honoring them enough that they matter, that they're, that, that they are not just physical, but there could be an emotional connection without hearing from some, without hearing yourself or hearing others say that's old fashioned. I know. You know, it's really hard because even hearing you say that I want you said they matter and that's my response I have like I'm having like a visceral emotional response to that of just like oh it really matters I think on sort of a soul and sacred level and not to be precious about it and again not to not to load girls with more shame and boys but who we share ourselves with matters and it's really hard in 2023 to get that across in concert with being you and feeling proud of yourself and experiencing what you want. And that's our burden as parents, or maybe it's not a burden. Maybe it's an honor. Maybe it's a, you know, we're charged with this, but if we don't think about it and we go directly to accepting or rejecting or shaming and you know, the and the language has to be different. Like it can't be like my instinct is definitely it. You you do want to go to mattering, but you might accidentally go to how do you want people talking about you? Mm-hmm. How do you want people perceiving you? How do you want yeah. to move through the world? And do you want to keep yourself sacred? Which is a really old fashioned construct. Like. You want to be harder to, you don't want anybody to, just anybody to be able to kiss you. Yeah. Or sleep with you or whatever it is. Yeah. And it gets tied up with like this idea of chastity. which Exactly. Was, it was like a horrible, right. Yeah. Another fourth century invention with Augustine who maybe was a sex addict, you know. Which is what, so what, <laughs> what I found so interesting that you were writing about it was, okay, we have yet another, we are charged with fascinating stuff because no, we're not talking about chastity, but it sure could sound like that if we don't separate mattering and chastity and 
what images we're getting across and all yeah. of that stuff. And so I don't know the solution so much as we really have to think about our response and our language. And we definitely can't just go with our mm-hmm. initial horror. Yeah. And and it's fun. You know, it's like at the same time, it can be not that precious and it can be fun. Yeah. And I am talking about this as a traumatized woman. So it's like, hard, but that's where I also am like, can we just save you all I from know. that? Yes. I so know. that you don't experience your own body as a threat against yourself. Yeah. And so that you can feel really comfortable in your body and you know, it goes to this attention level where I perceive attention as dangerous for many reasons, like sexual trauma, which isn't even that bad. I think my, my stories are quite typical. Well, just because they're typical does not, not mean, mean they're, they're right. And then, and then this fear of being, you know, what we were talking about in pride, like all the other reasons that it's dangerous and, and that's a crime, you know, it's terrible, but this is again, like where we're This at. is where we're at. And so we have to think about where we're at in a way that, and I mean, I think that's why this book is in its own, unintentionally perhaps, but is a very much a parenting book. Oh, I love it. Because these are the things, like these are the things we don't talk about. And when we don't talk about things, the unspoken is the stuff that messes with us. Yeah. And so we get a whole new opportunity with our kids to not turn this into these shameful, silent shadows. Yes keep us from ourselves. You know, it's like I, it took me, I don't know, 25 years to deal with my early sexual trauma and to like actually enjoy sex. Mm -hmm. And I would hope to save my children from that same fate. And, and at the same time, I wish I enjoyed my own body more, you know, in the same way that I think we all, and this gets into gluttony and our ideas about what it is to have a good and conforming body. Yes. But I look back at myself in college and in my 20s and even, you know, in my, even now, like with any distance and I look at photos of myself and I'm like, oh, you look great. Yeah. And but yet, it's hard to capture yeah, it in real time. You can't capture it in real time. So that's the other thing. It's like with these young girls, I'm like, I love that you love your body. If that's what's really happening that's the key is yeah. like, is that what's really happening? I don't know. It's so hard to know. And so it's, these are questions we have to ask and they're just reflections that we just have to, yeah. you know, but we don't have the answers. I think that's quite scary. Yes, absolutely. It's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the other thing is that that happens because you don't want to, you don't want to discuss longingly your past body right. with your kids, especially your daughter's. Because there's something about that that is inherently self-loathing. Yeah. And yet, of course, it's so I don't have a single friend who if I go to the beach with my friends who are my peers and we're looking at frolicking, happy, joyful young people, particularly teenagers, it's really hard not to be like, oh, my God, that is gorgeous. Like, it's hard not to do that. And to sort of think like, I never appreciate, I never either say like, I never looked like that yeah, or I never appreciated that. But then there's in that in and of itself is just like the messaging in your whole nervous system is now shame yes, for what you are currently or for what you're thinking. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, I mean, it's just so hard to accept ourselves as having changed. And, you know, that's work I'm really trying to do with myself now because for so long I've been driven by this, like, I just need to get my body back. back. Right. And this idea of like, you know, picturing myself waiting in a pool and being like, I just need to touch the side and be like, oh, I'm the same weight I was before I had my yeah. second child, yeah. which has proved completely <laughs> and truly evasive to the point where I don't even, I don't weigh myself anymore. I mean, that's like part of the process of writing a book like this is the therapy you have to do on yourself. Yeah. And it's funny because in my mind, watching this teen walk around in her like bralettes and <laughs> jean shorts and in my own like surf suit, essentially. <laughs> um, and I don't want that. I don't want to wear a crop top. I don't. It's not. So that actual longing doesn't exist in me. Right. But it's interesting how the reflexive reaction is like, oh, man, I don't want to stand next to her in the family photo. Right. Like, <laughs> can we move? But but part of it is like, can I love my body as it is now, completely transformed by two kids and 40 years? And can I love it more? Because I didn't love my body when my body looked like hers. And I was inhaling Cool Ranch Doritos and whatever, like 2,500 <laughs> calories a day. Like, just, yeah. It's really, and it's also like similar to writing the book, just parenting. Like, you have to do the work. Like, yes. you have to think about like I guess you don't have to but it's it's a good practice to think like I definitely was not a person who walked around without my clothes on unselfconsciously I remember going to college and in my where where in the house I lived in there was a four shower head shower and the pain in the ass that it was to find a time when nobody was showering because I was just like that is I'm first of all I'm modest and second of all, I'm ashamed of my body. So between those two things, this is a very unpleasant experience. Whereas now I am so like, a, I, and I definitely do not look better or even in on the map of anything like college, but I feel completely comfortable being undressed around my kids because I was like desperately, I just desperately didn't want them to look at a mother who was ashamed of her body that had mm. done so much. But I will say, like, having, you know, they're they're at an age where they're like, please put your clothes on. <laughs> like, thank you anyway. <laughs> the transition to parenthood gives you, like, a, a boost in motivation. And so you do make a tremendous amount of change. It's the biggest brain yeah. growth since adolescence. And I think that that was, like, I was like, I'll be damned if I don't, come to terms with this body and also it's really different in front of your kids than in front of the world so like I'm I still am not found on a beach with them prancing around with what with with the freedom of not caring whether I'm in a scuba suit or a bikini I I definitely like all the work that I did goes to pot once I'm out in the world and they they for sure see that too yeah. So it's just it's a constant. I just think all of this is a beautiful opportunity for self-reflection and then to be able to think about like in the culture that we're in, how do we navigate this to be integrated human beings and raise children who 
don't have to be encumbered with the, these seven deadly sins mm-hmm. in the way that that we were while still participating in a world that just is what it is. Yeah. And I think that we become much more able to engage with the culture and to change it in part by changing our own behavior when we stop using this code of goodness as sort of the gold star. And I don't think that we're going to get that far in making things different until we process this ourselves. You know, even in the context of keeping girls safe, it's like we have to sort through our own ambivalence about our bodies and have these (sighs) conversations with each other before we can take on the world. And, you know, there is so much. I mean, this is what all the social science, like why you look at the social science and your heart breaks because so much of it is, yes, there are problematic men in the culture, certainly. And yes, men benefit from patriarchy more than women, particularly white, straight men. But we are women are not on side with each other. Mm-hmm. We there is so much internalized patriarchy and internalized misogyny in all of us. And so we're sort of like raising our fists at this structure without actually addressing that in ourselves first. Yes. And I think as we clear it, which can happen, and I wanted to write a book that wouldn't just make people mad, but would actually point a way towards this type of resolution, then we can really take on the world without being triggered, without feeling all of our own unprocessed shadow come up, which I think just sidelines us again and again. This all comes from this place of like, what feels so loving, like a warm, loving hug Mm -hmm. to women, not a like, get your act together, people. It just doesn't feel like that. It feels so like you are as a person, which is just like, like if this were a blanket. (laughs) Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. That means everything. I mean it. Yeah. But that's, that's the intent. We're never all these binaries and the polarities that we see in our culture and this sort of like, let's blame men or let's Mm -hmm. burn it all down. It's like, it's so much more complicated than that. It's so much bigger than any one of us. And to get to a new version, it's not about replacing the men with the women. It's really about letting all of us, men too, allowing all of those feelings to come up and processing them. And there's no bad guy in this, just like there's no good guy either. We're just people. We're just people. We're humans, as you you know making sense of our insides and our outsides without feeling like we have to over, you know, become someone else or overshare everything, but just for ourselves. Yeah. Being an integrated person feels so good for those moments that we can have it, even if they're fleeting. And this kind of thinking and this kind of conversation feels like it gets you closer. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.